Today, if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 12 through 18, and this is really a continuation uh, from last week when we talked about uh, Christ being our model, we talked about models for unity, and Christ being the supreme model for unity because of his humility, because of his obedience. And that's what he longs for in us as well. So beginning in verse 12, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As I mentioned, this passage is linked to the previous passage because it uses the word therefore. You always have to go back and see what it's there for, and it's linked to the previous passage. He's saying in light of the fact that Christ is our model of humility and obedience, in light of that fact, to unify the church, therefore, dear friends, He's talking about letting our light shine for God. That we too. He also links it back to chapter 1, verse 27. Look at there. Chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You can see the whole idea of unity here, of working together, one mind, one heart, one goal, one desire to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we walk worthy of the gospel, and we do that with humility and obedience of Christ. And notice what Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. I find that interesting because, let me ask the young people, does your behavior change when mom and dad are gone? Paul's saying, not only in my presence, but in my absence, that your behavior would still exhibit the humility and obedience of Christ, whether the pastor's there, an elder's there, or your parents there, or a school teacher's there, it doesn't matter who it is, that our behavior would be the humility and obedience of Christ. And that's what Paul is challenging them with as dear friends. Not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. Their oneness, their spirit of unity will determine their effectiveness in being a witness and a light for Christ. You see, the light that God has placed within us is needed in Huron and surrounding areas. 
It tells us in Isaiah 9-2 that Jesus Christ was the light that came to the world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. See, here was God's plan and desire for Israel. That Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. That was God's plan. That Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. And Israel failed to be the light that God wanted them to be. And so what does he do now? Through Paul, the pastor, giving the challenge to the church in Philippi, he's saying, I want you to be the light to the Gentiles. Because the Israelites failed. And I would like you to be the light to the Gentiles. The Philippians were living in a Roman colony. It was a Gentile area, and probably the church was made up of mainly Gentile believers in the church in Philippi. So let's look at these three ways to let our light shine. Three ways we should be letting our light shine. The first one is we should be pursuing a deeper relationship with God. Notice what he says. Dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now these verses seem conflicting because at the beginning it says that you are to continue to work out your salvation like it all depends on you. And then he says it's God who is at work in you, so which is it? It's both. There is an effort on our part that we give, we have a human responsibility to respond to the revelation of God, but there's also God who works in us because God has worked salvation in us, and until salvation has been worked in us through the cross, it will not be worked out of us in our own lives. So pursuing a deeper relationship with God, in order for us to model Christ and his humility, we have to live a life of obedience just as Christ was obedient. Now he's telling the Philippians, you need to obey as well. But notice he says, you have obeyed. As you have always obeyed, there was a consistent life pattern of obedience with the Philippians. What a wonderful thing. This life of obedience will usher forth a radiant light for the gospel. That's what will happen. And this obedient light for the gospel, radiant light for the gospel, is not talking simply about individuals. Again, he's talking to the church. That corporately, we would be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ by our humility, our obedience, and our unity in the body of Christ. Our lives will radiate Christ to each other and to the world. Notice what he says in Psalm 34. Verse 5, those who look to him, to God, are radiant. We shine forth. We reflect the glory of God. We reflect his light when we look to God. They're radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Notice what he says in Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Notice what he says here, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Our obedience to what? To the commands of God. 
He has given us commands. We are to live in obedience to those commands. So let me ask a question. What motivates you to study and obey God's commands? I think there's two kinds of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. Let's talk about them for a moment. Extrinsic motivation is when you perform a behavior or engage in an activity to earn a reward or to avoid punishment. For instance, dad or mom says, clean your room. And you will clean your room if you get paid for it. Or you will clean your room to avoid punishment, right? That's extrinsic motivation for the reward or to avoid the punishment. The intrinsic motivation is you engage in a behavior because it's personally rewarding. The behavior is the reward itself. I will mention an extrinsic motivation for single men because I was single into my 30s. Um, They don't want to dust the furniture. So they put in a lower wattage light bulb so you can't see the dust. I didn't do that. But I did hear that was a, 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 you know, a, a way to get around it. The intrinsic motivation is engaging in a behavior because it's personally rewarding. The behavior itself is its own reward. The young person will clean their room because they find it personally rewarding to have a clean room. Simply because they want a clean room. Or an extrinsic motivation, you study to get a good grade. Some kids will study to get the grade. Intrinsic motivation is you study to learn about the subject. You see the difference? I want to learn this subject. I don't, I'm not concerned about the grade. The grade will come because I learned the material. So let me, let's put this down to God's word. Extrinsic motivation to study God's commands out of a desire to avoid punishment. Or an intrinsic motivation where I study God's commands because they are a delight to my heart and my soul. There's a big difference. So let me ask another question. Is there any area in my life that I am wandering from God's commandments? Because when I wander from the commandments of God, then my light is not going to shine. The light of the church is not going to shine like God intends. So, is there anything that I am wandering from God's commands? Do I practice deceit? Do I have sinful habits that I hide from other people? Do I hide things from my spouse? Hide things from my family? Do I always tell the truth, the whole truth? Am I controlled by selfishness, envy, or jealousy? If things don't go my way, how do I deal with it? Do I take it to God in prayer? Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book called Maturity. In that book, he says, we have the tendency to drift away from full and joyful obedience to the Word of God. We still have a sin nature that has to be defeated every day. And here was the psalmist's desire. He said, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 
We need to be aware that our fleshly desires and temptations to let our eyes wander, hindering our passion to pursue a deeper relationship with God. If we are not careful, we'll begin to focus on things of the world which will extinguish the light God wants us to have to shine to a lost, dark, broken world. Robert Murray McShane was a pastor in Scotland in the middle 1800s. He died at 30 years of age. Here's what he wrote in his diary. He said, the seeds of all sins are in my heart and perhaps all the more dangerously that I do not see them. We need to be living a life of obedience so that the light of Christ will shine to the world. Romans 6.17 says, Paul says, Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but you have become obedient where? From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Is it that intrinsic motivation to know the commandments of God? Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, we don't wander from the commandments when we begin to store them in our heart. And when we store them in our heart, the light of the gospel is going to shine through our lives. We're going to radiate Christ to the world. That's God's desire in our lives. It tells us that Job feared God and shunned evil. Notice what he says. Continue in verse 12 to work out your salvation. How? With fear and trembling. And it tells us that Job feared God and shunned evil. So to pursue a deeper relationship with God, we work out our salvation to its ultimate goal, and the ultimate goal of working out our salvation is Christ-likeness. That is God's desire, that we are like Jesus Christ. This is sanctification. We have a responsibility to put forth our effort, but we do it with God's power, His divine enablement in our lives. It is God who is at work in you, He says, to will and to act according to His good purpose. Sanctification is a big word, but what it means is to be set apart from all else, dedicated to God's use, being made or becoming holy. That's God's desire in our lives. You see, it's tough to be in the dark and not let the dark get in you. The unending struggle for the Christian is to walk in the light and at the same time keep moving into the shadows. Because we have the light of truth, we are to be moving into the shadows, taking God's commands into the shadows so that people can be delivered from darkness we take God's commands of light into the darkness. We share those commands so that people can see their sinfulness and their need for Jesus Christ. And only the church has that. We take those commands into the darkness. We've got to have them stored here if we're going to take them into the darkness. God's power gives us victory over selfishness and sin. We become a people that wants to please God in how we relate to one another. 
The reason we pursue a deeper relationship with God is so we can allow God to use us for His good purpose, His will, His honor, His glory. And that's what God gives us energy to do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what does he do to the church? How does, he, how does he give us stuff to carry out this out? Well, he says there's varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, God is at work in us. He empowers us. He gives us spiritual gifts in the church so we can serve. Nobody has all the gifts. So he puts the body of Christ together with various gifts that you have, And so instead of saying, well, that person can't do that because they don't have that gift, maybe you have it. Maybe you are the one that God wants to use to strengthen the church in that area because of your gifting. Strengthen the body. So the light of the gospel shines. Discover your spiritual gifts. One of the things we're going to be doing with our elders is we are going to be trying to make some visits of some of the people in the congregation because we want to make sure you know your gift and give you a spiritual gifts inventory and have you fill that out so you know your gifting, you know your personality, and you can use that in the body of Christ here at Bethesda. So pray for us as we do that. And if you would like to be on that list and say, man, I would like to know my gift, uh, take an orange card out of the back of the pew and say, please visit me so I can know my gift and put it in box one out in the lobby Um, or call the church because we want to help each other in that way. We want to help you discover your gift and develop your gift for the Lord. The second way we can let our light shine is by publicly shining like stars in a dark world. How do we do that? Well, you're going to hear repeat. By maintaining a spirit of humility and obedience. Because that's what Christ showed us in the previous passage. Obedience and humility obedience even to the point of death. And he talks to us about taking up our cross and following Jesus. Obeying God's command. So what does he tell us? He gives us a command, actually in verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, he gives a negative here, but the negative has to be taken out so the light of truth can come in. Obeying God's command. This is a command from the Lord to stop doing this in the church. One commentator said it was used of the cooing of doves. It's not a loud, boisterous sound. It's just this undercurrent of muttering and murmuring. And then he goes on to say, don't complain and don't argue. Don't dispute. One commentator said this Greek word carries the idea of discussion or debate with the underthought of suspicion or doubt. A contentious person. 
It's a command. It's a positive command about a negative behavior. It often occurs in the Old Testament writings about Israel. When they were in the desert and wandering, the Bible says that they complained against Moses. But listen, ultimately, they were complaining against God. Let's look at it quick. I don't know if you'll be able to see this. That's too small, probably. If you, if you want to jot down, and I'll read it to you, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 to 9. It says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out, of, out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They are not too happy. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Notice God was testing them, and they were complaining about the test. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Now remember, what was the purpose of the Israelites to be a light to the Gentiles. It's hard to be a light and complain and grumble about the Lord. It extinguishes the light. God wants us to be the light, humble, obedient, one mind, one heart. Notice, I'll just show you a couple of these verses. Um, this is, um, yeah, this is uh, Isaiah 42, 6. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. That was God's desire for Israel. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, 6. And I also read Isaiah 42, 7. So that was God's desire. It's his desire for the church now to be a light to the world that is dark, that is lost, to release the captives, to give sight to the blind. That's God's purpose for our church, every church. 
But when we complain, it could mean we're not willing to accept God's plans and God's timetable for something. We want it yesterday when God may want it tomorrow. We complain about God's lack of provisions. Maybe God wants us to lack, so we have to trust Him. We complain about behavior of others when we have issues in our own lives. Notice what he says in verse 14 again. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation. He says that you may become that. You're not there yet, but I want you to become that. That you may become that. Pure and blameless before the Lord. Blameless. Ken Wee says it means to be free from fault or defect. Pure, unmixed, like wine without water or metal without alloy, that there's no impurities, there's no defiling material in our lives. Here's how Will Rogers said it. He said, you should live so you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. I like that. You wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. That you are without fault, you are without blemish, you are unblameable. And notice what he says, where is this happening at? How does he want us to be pure and blameless? Where is this to take place? In a crooked and depraved generation. A fallen world, a broken world, sinful world, crooked, people who are turning away from the truth, depraved, people who are perverse, distorted, and twisted. That's where we take the light of the gospel to a broken world, to be the light of Christ to people who are yet in darkness. And notice what he says, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Shine, not as the light itself, but reflecting the true light, which is God. We reflect him. We are the luminaries as it were. We are the candle in the bag. (laughs) God is the one who lights the candle. We are made to reflect God's glory. Paul likens us to shining stars, and the word shine means to reflect. The scientific term is albedo. It's a measurement of how much sunlight a celestial body reflects. They say that the planet Venus, for example, has the highest albedo at 0.65. In other words, 65% of the light that hits Venus is reflected. Depending on where it's at in its orbit, the almost a planet Pluto has an albedo range of 49, or 0.49 to 0.66. They say that the moon has an albedo of only 0.07. 
Only 7% of sunlight is reflected, yet it lights our way in a cloudless night. In a similar sense, each of us has a spiritual albedo. The goal, 100% reflectivity. That's what God longs for in His church. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. We do not produce the light. We only reflect it. And that's what God has called us to do. To humble ourselves. To experience God's grace. To focus our attention on our own shortcomings and spend less time pointing out the shortcomings of others. The third way we can let our light shine is by praising God for the faithful witness of fellow believers. Praising God for the faithful witness of fellow believers. Here is the model for unity in Paul. Notice what he says in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. How do we see Paul's model here for unity? We see his humility in pouring out his life for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see his obedience in fulfilling God's call on his life. Paul is modeling what he desires the Philippians to grab a hold of. He's speaking of his martyrdom when he talks about pouring out his life like a drink offering. He's saying, I'm giving my lifeblood for this work. He senses that his days could be numbered. And that's why he says that I hope you will obey not only in my presence but in my absence because I may not be around. He rejoices because of the Philippians' faithfulness in shining the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. But here's the humility in Paul. He says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, the blood is the secondary part. The sacrifice is the primary part. And what he's saying is, you as Philippians who are shining your light of the gospel, you are primary and I'm secondary. We see his humility. He talks about their sacrifice and service coming from their faith. He said, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You should praise God for what he is doing. I'm going to do something a little different today as we close our service. We are going to, you can feel free just to sit and reflect as this song plays. I've got a YouTube song. It's an older song by Kathy Tricoli called Go Light Your World. It talks about there is a candle in every soul, some brightly burning, some dark and cold. There is a spirit who brings fire, 
ignites a candle and makes his home. He says, carry your candle, run to the darkness. Seek out the hopeless, confused and torn. Hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle and go light your world. Take your candle and go light your world. Frustrated brother, see how he's tried to light his own candle some other way. See now your sister, she's been robbed and lied to, still holds a candle without a flame. Carry your candle, run to the darkness. Seek out the lonely, the tired and worn. Hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle and go light your world. There's another verse, but we'll feel free to sing it if you want to with Kathy Jacoli or just listen to the words. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the lights down in here. So I want you to get out your cell phone. You never hear a pastor say, get your cell phone out. Get your cell phone out. And I want you to, you can either just hold it up like this, or if you want to even get a little brighter, you can put your, don't shine it in people's face. You can shine it up, and we'll turn these lights down, because this is what we are doing. We are going into a dark world. We have the light of the gospel within us. God has lit, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, our candles have been lit. They are to burn for Jesus Christ. They will burn as we live in humility, obedience, and unity. That's God's desire for the church. So let's play that. Go ahead and turn the lights down. Get your candle out. Don't be afraid to raise it up. There is a candle in every soul. Some brightly burning, some dark and cold. There is a spirit who brings a fire, ignites a candle, and makes his home. So carry your candle, run to the darkness. Seek out the hopeless, confused and torn. Hold out your candle for all to see. Take your candle and go light your world. Take your candle and go light your world.
Maybe something as simple as having your neighbor over for coffee, starting the conversation, helping a lady that's too short to reach the top shelf in the grocery store, holding a door for someone. Something simple yet profound because you're using it to build a bridge to bring the light of the gospel to the hopeless. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the only way you can have your candle, your life lit, is because of Jesus' death on the cross that paid for your sin. And you confess your sin to God and ask Him to forgive you and come into your life and make you a new person. If we can help you understand that, we'd be glad to talk with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. Let's close in prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.